questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. On this Veritas episode, we bring you light in a world of darkness. It has been 10 years since we had him on. So tonight, I will set the stage, but I will let him take us where he wants to go. What would that be? Get ready and buckle up. It will be a wild and enlightening ride. I guarantee it. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. Tonight's guest is a Veritas veteran and returns after 10 years. Jordan Maxwell continues as a preeminent researcher and independent scholar in the field of occult and religious philosophy. His interest in these subjects began as far back as 1959. For a more comprehensive bio, we have it on our website. But I want to leverage every minute with him. Directly from Flagstaff, Arizona, north of where I am, I'd like to welcome a black belt in symbol literacy, Jordan Maxwell. Hello, Jordan, and welcome back to Veritas after 10 years. How are you? Pretty good, I think. I had a little problem last night, but I'll be okay now, I think. Thanks for being with us, and I can't believe that it's been 10 years since the last time you and I talked. We met in a few conferences along the years, but we haven't interviewed you for quite some time. First, I'd like to ask you, Jordan, because it's been a decade since we last talked, what has happened in the past decade? You had some health issues, which fortunately you seem to have overcome. There were some legal battles you fought. Do you want to tell our audience what happened in the last decade? Well, I'd like to tell you, but I can't. I've got a court order ordering me not to say a word about anything. So I can't say anything. Just say this, that I have a website, Miss Jordan Maxwell's show. You have to end the word show, S-H-O-W. Jordan Maxwell's show is my website. There are other websites out on the web with my name on them, my pictures of my name. But they're not mine. They belong to other people who are using my name to make themselves wealthy, to make you know, to sell products, etc. So the research one is not you, Jordan. The one that's um, I don't want to mention the whole name. The one about research is that you or not? Yeah, that's me too. The Jordan Maxwell research, but that's on my original. That's on my Jordan Maxwell show. I have two websites. I have one. Jordan Maxwell Show, which is my public website. And then on my website, I have a second one that you can join, which is a private website, <clears throat> but anyone can join. 
And it's all in my private research. I'm putting everything I've ever done up on the web. <clears throat> I've got a webmaster who's working around the clock, putting all of my pictures and documents and videos, audios, uh, <clears throat> important articles, research articles, just everything I've done over the years. I want to put it all up there so when I leave this world, at least everyone can go to the you know to the the dumping ground for all of my research stuff. It's so it won't be lost forever. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure I didn't give free advertisement to the other person that we don't want to discuss. So I wanted to make sure that 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 website is linked to your Jordan Maxwell Show dot com. Yeah, yeah. So That's you are it. for the record a little bit under the weather, and we appreciate that you're here with us today. I wanted to ask you. I recently heard you on a, a friend's platform, uh, David Whitehead's a great show, and he asked you a few questions that I really personally never heard of before. It was a story of uh, kind of an otherworldly experience. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I don't think our audience, or at least I didn't know. Well, I think what you're talking about is my girlfriend when I was 19 years old. Right. Okay. <clears throat> I was born and raised in Pensacola, Florida, no, the panhandle of Florida. And uh, I left home at 19, like most kids, I left home at 19, and I ended up in Los Angeles. <clears throat> and when I got here, I knew nobody. I had nothing. I didn't know where I was. I had no money, no place to go, no friends, no family, nothing. But I somehow or another stayed alive and I ended up in a little city just north of Hollywood, just a little bit north of Hollywood, about five or six miles north of Hollywood and, and the city was called North Hollywood. <laughs> and uh, and it was just a little Mickey Mouse little town <clears throat> and I ended up there and got a job there and moved there <clears throat> and I used to walk downtown because I was only about two blocks from downtown for what, you know, for downtown for what it's worth was about two blocks away from where I lived. And so I used to walk downtown on Saturday mornings to uh, have breakfast and hang around town. And I went down one morning on Saturday morning and the, the only restaurant in town was right in the middle of town. <clears throat> And I went in for breakfast and come to find out the place was absolutely crowded. No room anywhere except I spotted a empty seat at the counter. So I went over and sat at the counter and I'm sitting next to a girl. I'm 19. She was about 17. And we started talking and come to find out she lived about three blocks from town on the same street I did. And so we started hanging out together, and after breakfast, we would run around, roam around town and end up in a movie and walk home. And uh, <clears throat> so we started doing that regular on Saturdays and sometimes on Sundays. But when we would walk home, I live only two blocks from home, and she lived three blocks from town. And so she always knew where I lived, but I never followed her home to know where exactly where she lived, realizing it's only about a block away anyway. <clears throat> and so one evening, it was on a Friday evening, she came to my place, 
And it was about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And she said, my dad wants to talk to you. And I said, I don't have anything to say to him. <laughs> and she said, no, my father is a very important man, and he he has something to tell you, and he, and he wants to talk to you, so you need to come tonight. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of strange. He has something to tell me. So I thought, okay, all right, well, how bad could it be? It's her father. So <clears throat> I walked with her for about a block, and for the first time I saw where she lived. <clears throat> and when uh, when we were walking up to her house, her father came out. He just happened to be coming out, and he saw us, and he, he motioned for us to come in. But his mannerisms immediately uh, uh, brought a response to me spiritually. The hair raised up on the back of my neck, and I could feel very, very prominently that there's something about this man that you don't understand. He's not a normal man. That much I picked up on instantly. And so he kept smiling and, and, and bidding us, come on in. And so I didn't know if I want to go in because of what I was feeling about him. It wasn't frightening or scary or challenging. It's just strange. I don't feel he's a normal human. I, I just felt that. And so I went in because I, my feeling was at the time, I mean, how bad could it be? It's her father, and she's a sweet girl, so it's her father, so let's give it a try. So I went in, and uh, she had a sister, a little beautiful little girl, a little sister, and the two girls sat on the floor, and there was a large sofa in the front room. The mother happened to be in the kitchen or something in the back bedroom in the kitchen, so I never met the mother that first night. And so the father and I sat on the sofa on opposite ends. And he was asking me little questions, normal things about how long have you been here and how do you like living here and do you have a job? And my daughter told me she met you in a restaurant, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was feeling a little bit better about him because he's talking about normal things I can relate to. But there was still something about him. I didn't know what it was, but my gut told me there's something about him. And and it's not from this world. It's not of this world. And so we were talking again. He just giving me little, you know, normal questions. You ask a kid. And then he said to me after a few minutes, he said, remember when you were back in Florida and your father built a new back porch? Do you remember that when your, your dad tore up the old back porch and built a new one? And that scared me. And I didn't want to show tears in front of my girlfriend or show her that I was frightened. How did he know? It, legi it legitimately frightened me because he was absolutely right. My dad did build a new back porch. But I had no idea in the world, how does he know this? <clears throat> And I knew there was something about him, but I didn't didn't know. So I didn't say much about it. And then he said, well, you remember one night after the porch was built, your dad built the porch with green lumber because it was cheaper. And he built it with green lumber, and green lumber at night smells funny. And he said, remember one night you were in bed, you were about eight years old, and you were in bed, and you got up out of bed, you went out in the back porch. Do you remember doing that? 
And he said, and the moon was full, and you sat out in the back porch, and you picked the wood with your fingernails. And you picked a little piece of the wood, like a toothpick, and you held it up to your nose so you could smell the strange smell of green lumber. <clears throat> and he said, and you were looking at the new moon, or the full moon. And he said, and you know what you did? And I didn't say anything. I was just fascinated that he was so correct. And he said, you talked to God. You looked at the moon and you talked to God, didn't you? And I didn't know what to say. And my girlfriend's looking at me and her sister looking at me. And I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know who this is. And I don't know where, where I'm coming from or where I'm going with this. And I said, yes, I did. And he said, I know we, you talked to the moon because we saw you. And I said, what do you mean, we saw you? And he said, well, we were here, we saw you. And I said, who are you? And he said, well, that's not important. What's important is what I have to tell you. And he said, you have always been interested in UFOs and aliens and other world knowledge, haven't you? And I said, yes, all my life. He said, yep, I know, we've been watching you for a long time. And he said, <clears throat> You asked God something. What did you ask God? And I didn't say anything. I just looked at him, stared at him. He said, well, let me tell you what you said. You said to God that you wanted to do something important with your life. You didn't want to be here just because you happened to be born. You wanted to actually do something with your life important. Is that what you said? And and I just stared at him, and I and I shook my head, yes. And he said, I know. We heard you. And he says, so why are you here in California today? Why did you come here? And I said, I don't know. I just had to come to Los Angeles. I don't know why. And he said, that's right. We brought you here. You said you wanted to do something for God, so we brought you here. We're going to give you a chance to do something for God. And I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. He said, that's all right. Don't worry about it. He said, also, you've been very interested in UFOs, haven't you? And and I and growing up in Pensacola, I've had so many UFO experiences, other world experiences as a child, seeing seeing things that no one else saw. And so I said to him, "Yes, I have been." And he said, "Yeah, I know. We've been watching you." And he said, "Would you like to see some UFOs up close tonight?" And I said, "Yes, I would." And he, and he smiled and said, that much I can do for you. Come on, I'll show you. And I said, here tonight? He said, that's right. You said you wanted to see UFOs up close. Yeah, well, come with me. I will show them. Wow. I'll show you. And so I got up with him. He and I got up, and, and the two girls got up, and the four of us went out in his front yard. And this is in North Hollywood in 1959, some 60 years ago, about 60 years ago. <clears throat> and he looked up into the sky. It was a beautiful summer night. He looked up into the sky in Los Angeles, and he starts uh, talking to the sky, but inaudibly. You can't hear him, but you can see his mouth is moving. He's obviously talking to someone. And I'm I'm looking at my girlfriend, and she's looking at me, and her look on her face, I could read it well. She was wondering, how am I taking all of this experience? And I didn't know what to do. I'm just, I'm fascinated with this man. I mean, he knows everything about me. 
and and yet I don't know who he is. I I don't know why it is I met him or I met him through her. Why did I beat her? And so he's he said to me, I've just talked to them. They said they'll be here in about a minute or two, and they're coming from the south, and they're going north. So he pointed south. He said they'll be coming from the south, and they're going north. And they said to tell you they'll be here in a couple of minutes, about two minutes. And I said, who? And he said, you said you wanted to see the UFOs. I, yes. Well, wait a couple of minutes, and they'll be here. I said, how do you know that? He said, I just talked to them. And they said, they'll be here. And I thought, what do you mean you talked to them? You just looked up in the sky and talked to the sky. And sure enough, by the time I started dealing with this in my in my mind, sure enough, three UFOs, which is exactly what they were, unidentified flying objects, but there were three of them in a circle. They were circular, like a saucer. That's why they called them flying saucers. And <clears throat> all three of them came from the south. They were going north. They were moving very slow. They weren't going very fast at all. They were moving very slow in a triangle position, uh, formation. And as they came over the top of us, all three of them stopped instantaneously. And they were absolutely gorgeous. No words could explain how beautiful these things were. They were circular like a saucer. And yet the bottom of the saucer, what we could see, the bottom was cut in like six or eight pieces like a pie. And each one of the pie strips was a different color. And they circulated, the colors circulated. But one thing particular I remember about the colors of those saucers is they were laser colors, extraordinarily brilliant colors. Three of them were circulating colors that were laser colors. And I was amazed at the beauty of these quiet, making no sound whatsoever, and in circular, like pie shape with colors. And I stood there staring at them for a moment. And I looked back at the father, and he smiled, and he said, They're beautiful, aren't they? And I said, They're gorgeous. Who is this? Who are you? What, why am I seeing this? And he said, well, you said you wanted to do something for God, so we're going to give you something to do. We'll see if you can do it. And I said, I don't understand. He said, you don't need to understand. What we have for you to do, you will do at the very end of your life, the very last part of your life, we have something for you to do, and you won't have to fool with it until the very last part of your life. So go back out in the world and just live your life and don't worry about it. We'll make sure you meet who you're supposed to. We'll make sure you train you, and you'll be prepared at the end of your life to do something for us that we need you to do for us. And after all, you did ask if you could do something, so we're letting you do it. And I was amazed. And he said, I have something for you I'm going to give you tonight as a book. And I want you to read this book, and I want you to think about what you're reading. And then we'll talk about this another time. We'll talk about it later. So I agreed, and we went back in the house, the girls and the UFOs. They, they started moving northward again. 
And, they, and we stayed out there watching them for a few moments until they were finally gone. They got out of sight <clears throat> and over the mountains in the northern part of the valley. They passed over the mountains. They were out of sight. And so then we went in, and he handed me a book off his bookshelf. It was called The Complete Works of Charles Fort, F-O-R-T. The Complete Works of Charles Fort. It was three different books put into one by the Charles Fort Corporation in Europe and England. And it's called The Complete Works of Charles Fort. You can still buy the book today. It is still a mind trip reading that book. And so I took the book home and started reading it. And what it was, it was a very, very interesting book about all of the strangest things which have happened on the earth which defy the imagination and the intelligence of humans. Things which have happened, we know they happened, there were too many witnesses to it, it was all on paper, it was in magazines, newspapers, articles, but nobody could explain them. It was just things which have happened that nobody could answer. And it was explaining how many things around the world happen every day that will blow your mind if you even knew what these things were able to do, what, what was happening. But nobody knew how to explain, explain them. And so I'm, I got the idea that he was breaking me into the world of the occult. Officially, he was breaking me into the world which is unseen by mankind. And that's what this book did. It did it well. It's called The Complete Works of Charles Fort. And I, I used to go over to the house on weekends. Sometimes I would go over on Saturday morning, and uh, my girlfriend and I would walk back downtown, have breakfast. We'd come back, and then sometimes we'd end up going out for a ride with her dad and mom and her sister. We'd go out to we'd go way out into the desert north of Los Angeles, where the big uh, military contractors, Lockheed, etc. All the big contractors were out there, and he would, he would go. We would go way out past there, and we would park out in the middle of the desert. And he would tell me about the extraterrestrials who were here on the Earth, and which ones were under the Earth here in in the area we were standing in. It was called Palmdale. Palmdale is still a very, very big and important city north of Los Angeles today because it's the home of all the big military contractors. And I don't know if the contractors know that, but what he was telling me back then in 59 is that there were extraterrestrials under the ground of, of uh, Palmdale. And we would go down these, go down sometimes in the mountainside. We have an opening. He, he knew exactly where they were. And we would go down the opening, my girlfriend and I, the sister and the mother would stay out. But the three of us, the father, myself, and my girlfriend, would go down, and we'd go way down into the earth, and then we'd come to a point where there's no light, and flashlights were needed, there's no light, and then he would say to me, all right, we can't go any further, this is as far as we could go. And I said, why? And he said, because they know we're here. They know that we're here, and we're on their property, we're on their territory. And they're watching us to see how much further we're going to go. And and I know that this is as far as we could go. Did they, they build not, the underground facilities themselves or was it military? Say it again. 
the underground facilities, were they built by the military for them or were they built here thousands of years ago? Uh, no, it was not military, not military at all, but it was just some kind of a cave uh, tunnel, cave tunnel dug into the ground and it went down, down, down. And the father and I, I, I wasn't scared. I was with him. And so we went down, but it was dark without the flashlights. And so my girlfriend, she got kind of uh, spoofed. And so she decided to go back up and stay with her mom. So she turned around and left and just left him and I. And then he told me, we can't go any farther. This is as far as we could go. They, they've let us come this far. And they, uh, and it won't bother you, but they will bother me because I'm the one that brought you here. And so I don't want anything to happen to you or me, so we're going we're to leave now. And they will know we're leaving. <clears throat> so we used to do that on Saturdays. And then one Saturday, I went over to their home in the morning. I went over. I normally go over and have breakfast with them, and then my girlfriend and I would take a walk or go somewhere or do something. And I went over to their home on one Saturday, and they were absolutely gone. The house was totally empty. The windows and doors were wide open. No furniture, nothing. They were gone. And they were gone forever. I never saw them again, ever. And I never, and it really hurt me back because I was thinking my girlfriend could have told me. She could have come to tell me she was leaving. Nobody came to tell me nothing. And I would go over there and find out they didn't have the time or, or the effort to even come and tell me they were leaving. But I now, because I'm older and I now realize what was going on, I now know. And, and, I, and it's understandable now that I understand the circumstances. He was supposed to do what he did. He brought me to Los Angeles and set me on my road to where I was going and has been with me ever since, and I've been continually living a life of the occult all my life since I've been in California back in 1959. I began having other world experiences, seeing things, hearing things from people I don't know. I'm beginning to see UFOs, alien stuff happening around me, and I didn't, I was not afraid of it. I was not frightened of it. All I was fascinated, I was just fascinated with what's going on. What am I doing here? And why is all this happening to me? And where did my girlfriend go? Where did the family go? <clears throat> well, now I know, and I lived through it. But all I can tell you is that there was a world out there on the earth that you are not aware of. It's a spiritual presence out there on the earth that watches us. And things which will happen to you, uh, I think it was Churchill, Winston Churchill said one time, most people in their life will once in a while have something happen to them that will knock them over. And he said, and then he said, but they will get up and they'll shake their, uh, and shake their, uh, the dirt off and go about their day and don't even worry about it. And I'm thinking to myself, that is exactly right. So many people have strange things happen to them, but they are so ignorant and ill-informed and, uh, and not very sensitive. I've always been very sensitive to things that happen around me. But there are so many things that people have happened to them that they don't take note of it. They don't really see it. 
And so they just have the experience and get up and go about their business and never think about it. But I, since I got into California, I've had so many experiences that would blow your mind. I've got over 40 different experiences that I have written down to remember so I don't forget them. Because one day I'd like to tell the whole world some of the things that have happened to me. A quick parenthesis so you can drink some water, Jordan. But I'm here with the hair behind my head just upside. I have to tell you something. After listening to that story, and this show is not about me, it's about you today. But I have a very similar story that our audience knows. I semi grew up in Florida and I moved to Mexico City where I met somebody there, a lady. And it was a, a, a very weird way in which I met her. And she started telling me things about me that nobody knew but me. And then just to make the long story short, she started telling me things about the, my future. And the one thing that caught me Aside from telling me that an ex of kin would pass away and my father passed away, just like she said, she said I would marry somebody that looks like this or like that and exactly, and where I was going to live, I moved to California for a few years and then I wound up in Arizona. You came from California to Arizona, just like uh, I am, right? And she yeah. said to me, your job is to inform the world. And I said, I don't understand. And she said, in due time, it will be revealed to you. That and other things that happened to me. But as you're telling that story, and the fact that after that, I started becoming involved in this UFO world, and I started seeing my first UFOs, I'm thinking, you know, to, to other people, they may find your story unbelievable. And I would have probably thought about that if it hadn't happened to me as well. What do you say to people who have similar stories, Jordan? I know there's too much smoke not to be a fire. Too many occasions I've had that I was an eyewitness to things that other people would never believe. I've seen things with my own eyes. I've been in the company of other world entities. I now know for a certainty. And I've had too many extraordinary experiences. Let me give you another one, just another one to show you what the kind of thing that happens to me. <clears throat> Back in early 1990s, I was invited to speak at a big UFO conference in Pasadena. And the two guys putting it on were really good friends of mine, but they were really very good at putting on big shows. And they asked if I would be a keynote speaker at their UFO show in Pasadena. And I said, sure, I'd love to. <clears throat> so about a week before the event, both of them called me, and they came over to my office, and they said, we're going over to Pasadena to check out the hotel just for the hell of it. You want to go with us? I said, sure. So the three of us went over to this hotel that they, they were going to hold the conference the following week, and we just roamed around the hotel to familiarize ourselves with the layout. <clears throat> And then we ended up in the lobby, sitting there having a cup of coffee, the three of us, in the lobby, and just sitting in, in the, and talking. And the guy who was in charge of this conference asked me, he said, what, do you, what are you going to need to do your presentation? Do you need a blackboard? Do you need a screen? You're going to be showing videos? What, what are you going to need? 
And I said, no, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> All I want is just a table and a chair on the stage so I can sit before the audience as if it were my class. And I want a table so I can spread all the pictures and documents out I want to talk about. And I just want to sit and address the audience about all the things I've learned. And he said to me, all right, I'll tell you what we'll do. He said, we'll have somebody on the stage with you, sitting behind you on a bar stool. And they will have a video camera. And we're going to have closed circuit television in the room. And he said, and so the video camera will be hooked up to the closed-circuit TVs <clears throat> so that when you pick up a piece of paper to talk about a book or something, he is going to be sitting right behind you, right behind you, and so you hold it up so he can zoom in on it, and then the audience will be able to see what you're reading, and then they will be able to understand and follow you a little better. So I said, that sounds good. So the next week, that's exactly what happened. They had a table, large table with all the paperwork on it and a chair. And I'm sitting in front of the audience and my friend, this young guy, is sitting behind me with the camera right behind me, just like we like we had planned. And it went off beautifully. It went off very good. Everyone could read and see everything I was talking about. And when it was over, <clears throat> the, the guy on the stage said to me, he said, Jordan, my wife and I would like to have you come over for dinner tonight. Would you come and visit with us tonight? And I said, sure. I figured, I mean, he's going out of his way to do something for me, the least I could do. So I said, sure. So he lived in Pasadena. <clears throat> so after the event was over, I went home with him. And he and I sat in the front room talking about the day's events and stuff, UFOs and that kind of thing. And his wife was in the kitchen. And after a few minutes of being in the kitchen, and we're sitting in the front room, just him and I and, and his wife in the kitchen, she comes out and she says to him in front of me, she said, have you told him yet? And he said, no, I wasn't going to tell him till after dinner. And so I, I, I immediately knew there was something wrong. I said, wait a minute, I don't like surprises. <laughs> what do you mean you haven't told me? Told me what? And he said, well, I'll tell you now. He said, I wasn't going to tell you until after dinner. He said, but my wife has heard the story many times. I've told so many friends. I've told so many people in my family. And now I'm going to tell you the same story. He said, I just turned 50 years old a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> he said, when I was a teenager, 17 years old, I was back on the East Coast after, after school was out one summer and I was out on the highway back in Massachusetts, or one of those uh, you know, New England states. And he said that I was back in on the on the on the highway, thumbing a ride north to go and stay with my cousin for a couple of weeks. And he said, and an old man in a pickup truck stopped to pick me up, and he said the truck was old and beaten falling apart. I didn't think we would even make another mile. He said, but a wheel, at least it's, a, at least it's a, a ride. So I got in and he said, and the old man was smoking cigarettes, cigars. He'd smoke anything that was light and it smelled terrible. And he, and he looked to be about 90 years old himself. And he said, he was an old man driving a dirty old pickup truck. 
And he said, the moment I got in, he started telling me everything about my life. There was nothing that he didn't know about my personal life, my sister, her boyfriend, my dad and his business, my mom and her her lady friends. He said, this old man knew everything in detail about me, everything about my family. There was nothing he was missing. He was right on every single thing he said. And he said, that was scaring me. And he knew it. And he said, but as we were driving along, he would just randomly tell me about all kinds of things that happened to me at school or happened to my sister or or what was going on with my family, et cetera. And And he said, I was fascinated. How does this man know all this about me? I don't even know who he is. And then he and then he said, he finally let me out. And when he let me out, he said to me, everything I've told you up to now was to entertain you and get your attention. Now I'm going to tell you something important, and you need to remember it. After you're 50 years old, you're going to be on the other side of this country. You're going to be on the other side, on the Pacific side, after 50 years old. And one day you're going to find yourself on a platform in a hotel with a man sitting at a big table with papers and books, and you're going to be sitting behind him with a camera. But that camera does not exist right now in the world, but it will then. We'll make sure it exists then. And you're going to be sitting behind him on the stage in front of a large audience of people with that camera. And with that camera, he will be able to show the audience what he's talking about, and people will be able to see it because of you and your camera. And he said, and when that happens, you tell that man that I told you that I put him there, that he works for me. I put him there. And so he doesn't misunderstand and think it was his idea to come up with being just sitting in front of the audience with a camera behind him. You tell him, I put you there. And you tell him something else for me. And so he told me that. He said, so some 30-some-odd years ago, I was told as a 17-year-old that I was going to be on the stage with you this morning and you would be sitting and talking to an audience and I'd have a camera. And he said, and I was amazed. He said, well, I I was so uh, concerned about getting everything done right before the lecture I wasn't thinking about it. He said, but once the lecture started, I could relax and start just listening. He said, then it dawned on me. And he said, it frightened me when it hit me. I remember the prophecy of the old man. And he said, I looked into the audience at my wife, and she was sitting there looking at me and nodded her head, yes. And, uh, yep, this is what you have been telling people all your life for so many years, and now it has happened. So he says, so I'm sorry, I just have to tell you, the old man told me that you were put there by him. He is the one that put you there at the table to talk to the audience. That scared me. It it hit me in such a way that it really scared me. And I didn't want to show tears, but I was really frightened. And I got up and I walked out. He was upstairs in a condo. I walked downstairs to the street and started walking toward my car. 
And he came out, come down quickly, come down and walk with me on the sidewalk. And, he, and so I talked with him as we were walking. I said, I don't understand any of this. He said, I don't either. All I know is what he told me to tell you. And he said, the implications are very obvious. Somebody is in your life. Somebody has control over your life. <clears throat> so that scared me. But that's just one of about 40 different what I call peak experiences, truly off-the-wall experiences that's in your face. And believe me, I've had some really strange things that happened to me I could tell you about for hours. <laughs> I'm doing but, a 180 uh, no, here. No. I'm doing a 180-degree turn here because I expected our interview was going to be different. But this is just fascinating, and I want to stay with this. I have to ask you this question. Do you think there might be a time travel connection with all of this? Yes. I think also not only a time travel connection, but I think also that there are, and I know this for a fact, I can't explain it scientifically, don't care to, but I do believe it, and I know it's on, and I understand the concept that there are different dimensions and that we humans are able to come and go out of one dimension into another. And there have been way, way too many stories about people, normal people in the world, who have told me, as I travel around the world, people tell me things about their experiences with leaving this dimension on the earth and going into a different dimension. And I've done that myself. I've gone from this dimension and the world I live in I did that once in Los Angeles up on a mountaintop, seven o'clock in the morning. Uh, I was I was up there. It's it's called the uh, Griffith Park Observatory, huge big observatory on the top of a mountain overlooking all of Los Angeles. And Los Angeles is breathtakingly beautiful. If there's no if there's no smog. And so it was very early in the morning. I went up there because uh, it had rained for a couple of days before, and I knew that the air would be clean because of the rain. So I wanted to go see Los Angeles one time so I could say I've seen it when it's crystal clear sky. And when I went up, there was absolutely crystal clear. You could see as far as the eye can see. It was just beautiful. And the lay of the land, Los Angeles, with all the lights and the traffic and everything at seven o'clock in the morning and way off into the east, almost out of sight into the east, I saw a, a huge white clouds, very, very heavy white clouds. There were white clouds all over, but especially the white clouds in the east. And my eye picked up on, for some reason, I was standing there overlooking Los Angeles, looking east, And my eye picked up on a little black dot on, on a white cloud that was probably 50 miles from, from where I was, at least 50 miles. And I thought to myself, if whatever it is I am seeing as a, as a little dot, I know is at least 50 miles from here. And if I'm seeing something 50 miles away that's a black dot, that must be big. Whatever it is, it's going to be really big because I can see it 50 miles away. And the only reason I can see it is because of the extreme white clouds behind it. 
And so I stood there transfixed on this black dot, and I could tell it was coming toward me. Started to get a little bit larger, a little bit larger, and I knew it was on its way, coming this way. And so I locked onto it with my eyes. So I locked onto this thing. Whatever it is, it's moving very, very fast. And as it came over Los Angeles, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. No other words to explain it. It was a pterodactyl. A huge, enormous bird with scallop wings, but he was not flapping his wings. He wasn't trying to fly. He was sailing with the air, with the uh, you know, with the current of the air above Los Angeles that was moving so fast. He was just riding the current like a surfer. He was just riding the current. The air was blowing so quickly, so fast, and he flew over my head wide open about five times the speed of a 747, which you used to go up on the mountains and watch a big uh, 747s come in. This thing moved past us about five to six times faster than a 747 would. And as it shot past, I could see from the white clouds behind it very clearly it was a pterodactyl. It was long back, long head, a long pointed beak, enormous wings with hand with uh, kind of like feelers, or hands on the top front of the wing, and the and the tail was a long tail, and it was enormous. That's all I know is it's just uh, in comparison to the seven forty sevens at that height, this thing was far bigger than seven forty seven. As it shot past me, as it went past me, I watched it come, I watched it passing me, and I went out to Santa Monica, went out to West Los Angeles, out to the ocean, to the Pacific. As it went over my head and out toward the Pacific, there was a big, huge white cloud over Santa Monica. And out of that white cloud, I saw six Five, five more pterodactyls, five more come floating out of that of that white cloud over Santa Monica about seven o'clock in the morning, a little after seven in the morning, and they came out from behind the clouds one at a time. They followed each other out. One one pterodactyl came out, then the next one came out, and the next one followed until there were five of them, and they were circling around in a circle. And, and the circle was over Santa, Mon Santa Monica. And then he, the one who had just passed over me, saw them, and he flew toward them, and he flew into their circle. He made a place for himself, and they let him into the circle. And now there's six pterodactyls circling Santa Monica. And then one of them broke away. One of them broke away and went back into the white cloud. And now the rest of them started following until all six have followed the first one back into the white cloud. And they were gone. They were gone. And that was it. And I know what I saw. I couldn't care less what other people think because it doesn't matter to me what other people think. What matters to me is what my eyes saw. I had an experience, and that's what matters to me. I saw six pterodactyls in Los Angeles.
which as far as I'm concerned, uh, I don't know scientifically they're supposed to be here for millions of years. Well, I saw six of them, and they were right over Santa Monica. One of them flew right over my head. And so that's the kind of things that have been happening to me since I was in Los Angeles. I see things that other people don't see. I would have experiences with aliens other people don't know even exist. I would be told things and see things in the future. And so my life has been extraordinary, incredible, and (laughs) And in the movie Contact, I went to I went to a movie with one of my friends in Hollywood, big shot producer. We went to a movie, and he asked me. He called me. I had a dear 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 friend in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, but he lived in San he lived in San Diego, and at that time I was in San Diego too. And he called me one morning and said, I want to take you to breakfast. You pick the place anywhere you and want to go in San Diego, and we'll go for breakfast. And I said, okay. So <clears throat> he comes over, and we, we're driving, we get on the freeway. And instead of and, I, and he said, so where do you want to go for breakfast? He said, I'm buying, so wherever you want to go, just tell me. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to go to Escondido which is a little, tiny, little Mexican town just north of San Diego. It's a little Mexican town, Escondido. And he said, what? He said, I wanted to take you to a nice place for breakfast. What are you talking about going to Escondido? There's no place there. I said, well, that's where I wanted to go. You said I could go where I wanted to go. So that's where I want to go. I want to go to Escondido. And he said, why? I said, I don't know why. I just know that's where I want to go. So he said, all right, all right. So we get on the freeway, on the 15 freeway going north up to Escondido. It's about a 20, 25-minute drive outside of the city of, of, of San Diego. And as we're driving, we're just talking about stuff. And we started talking about reminiscing over people we'd love to see that we grew up with. And I told him about some friends that I grew up with in school. I'd like to see them today where they are, and you know, they see me where I am. And so he told me, he said, well, there are two people that I have wanted to see all my life that I had dear, dear friends. One was an old Native American man who was like my father. He was like a father to me an old Native American family, and the old man was like my father. And he said, I grew up with him, and he, and he said, I would love to see him, but nobody I know that knew him knows where he is. Nobody's ever seen him since he moved. And he said, and that was over, I think he said, in Arizona. And he said, but he is one man I really would love to see. We were just chit-chatting as we're driving up to Escondido. And he said, and the other one is a young friend of mine I went to school with. He's a Mormon. Last thing I heard, he was a Mormon contractor building huge commercial buildings and doing very, very, being very successful as a contractor. And he said that I would love to see him because he was like my brother when I was growing up. We were friends in school, and we hung out together. And he said that I would love to see the two of them. And he said, but I I don't know where either one are. Nobody knows where they are. They've been gone for a long time. So about that time, we get into into, uh, the Escondido. We get off the freeway. 
And quite literally, there's virtually nothing there back a couple of years back. There was nothing there, just a little Mexican town. But it was a nice little place. And they and they had an IHOP. They had an IHOP there. And we got off the freeway and were pulling through downtown Escondido. And there was an IHOP. And I said, there's where I want to go for breakfast, right there. <clears throat> and he said, what are you talking about? I was going to take you to a really nice place in San Diego. We come up to this little Mickey Mouse town to go to an IHOP. And I said, you said I could go where I wanted, and that's where I want to go. And he said, all right, I'm not going to argue. So we pull around, we pull a U-turn and come back to the IHOP. And we park and we go in. And, of course, the place was crowded because it's the only place in town for breakfast. It's just a little Mickey Mouse town. And the IHOP was the only place open. So we go in, and we have to wait because the place is so crowded. We have to wait. And then the the, the uh, hostess comes over and takes us to the back part of the restaurant to sit at this little table toward the very back. And I sat where I was sitting. I was sitting with my back to the front door. He sat on the other side looking and facing the front door. And I was sitting with my back to the front door. And as we sat down, he, his name was Bob Leeds. Bob was a dear, dear friend. He's gone now. But Bob began to stare, and I could tell there was something truly emotional was bothering him. He was very, very, very struck by something. And he was looking at something and looking and studying it. And I said to him, I said, Bob, and he didn't hear me. I said, Bob, second time, he still didn't hear me. He was sincerely locked in on something he was seeing. And I knew that it was scaring him because I could tell by the look on his face. He wasn't happy about it. And I, then I reached over and tapped him and caught his attention. I said, Bob, what's wrong? And he says, there is the old man and there is my friend, the Mormon contractor. They're both sitting right there. One at one table and one at the other. There's the old Native American, and there's my other friend, the contractor. And he got up and went over and sat and had breakfast with them and and spent all his time with them, and I sat there by myself. But that was a strange, and he came back and he said, that's really off the wall. How did you do that? Why did we come up here? Why did I tell you about the two people I wanted to see? And what in the hell is this all about? When we walk in, they're sitting right here. They were waiting for us. And he said, I, I don't understand what, what's going on here. I don't know who you are. Why is this happening? And I said, Bob, it's just part of who I am. I don't know. I don't know why it was I wanted to come here. Just That's what I wanted to do. Well, now we know why. I was being led here. And so I've, been, I've had those kind of experiences all my life. Truly strange things have happened that are not slight, but they're very much in your face and very scary and are telling you something about the life you live and who you are. Somebody's watching and bringing me to meet who I'm supposed to meet and to show me things I'm supposed to see and meet people I'm supposed to meet. <clears throat> and it's been that way for so many years. And I, like I said, I've got about 40 of these what I call peak experiences in 
press it. And I have little things happening every day, every day, little strange things that happen. I meet someone, I learn something I asked for yesterday, and someone gives it to me the day, the following day. Out of nowhere, they just pop up and tell me something that I was asking the Spirit to explain to me the day before. And somebody just pops up and explains it to me, and that was it. And so I've had these kind of experiences all my life, which tells me that I am being watched and that I have something to do from what the old man told me, from what my girlfriend's father told me. And people will say, I mean, I've, I've, I've explained this to audiences, and Christian audiences will say, well, that's the devil. The devil is, is leading you. <laughs> well, this is the same kind of thing the Bible says God did with people. He gave them visions. He caused them to see things that were not there and to see things that have premonitions about things. But here you tell it me that God did it back then, and that was perfectly fine for God to do that with the prophets of old. But if God were to go out of his way to do something like that today, that's obviously the devil. You are mentally deranged. You have no idea in the world what devil is. Devil is nothing more than putting a D in front of the word evil or taking an O out of good, but makes it God is God is good and devil is evil. You're ignorant, ill-informed, unread, and I've studied theology for some 60 years. And I can tell you about the world religions that you've never heard. I can tell you things about religions in Judaism and Christianity and Islam that you have never heard. No one's ever told you. I wanted to know. I have been studying the theology of the world's three religions for many, many years. I am not the world's foremost authority, but I know things you don't know. I have been there and I've seen things with my own eyes so that I understand now what's actually going on. And I realize that people today who are Christians and Jews do not understand their religion at all. Why? Because unless and until you understand Genesis 1, the first chapter, the first chapter tells you uh, the basis of where your religion has come from. And if you don't see it, you will never see it. You, hold hold it right there. From hold it right there, Jordan, because this is would be a good place to, to finish the first segment. I think we can unpack and dissect this. That was my intention to discuss the three Abrahamic religions with you, because there's a lot that we don't understand. The Egyptian artifacts that are inside the Vatican, I want to discuss all that when we come back. But let me just say this, after listening to your experiences, as I said before, if you asked me about 20, 30 years ago, I would think you were delusional. But because <laughs> I have gone through some of these experiences myself, especially the one where the father of your of your girlfriend And in my case, this lady that I met in Mexico who told me all those things about my life and my future. And also when I left that country to California, just like you did, and I called back two days later, she never made it back to the office. All her phones were disconnected. The common denominator, Jordan, is that these people disappear without a trace. I have never once been able to track her down. And all I can say is she was placed there for a reason. That's so right. When I hear That's stories right. like yours, you cannot dispute it. 
You cannot, this is what you saw. And who am I? Now, who is anybody else to dispute what you experienced? But when we come back, I want to discuss religions. I want to discuss some of these peak stories. My goodness, I'm fascinated <laughs> by them. How can okay. people help you, Jordan? How can people help you? How can they how can they learn more about your work? Well, just go on my website to Jordan Maxwell Show. Jordan is like the River Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N, jordanmaxwellshow.com. And you will see on my homepage uh, another website that you can join. It takes it takes you to have to join the website. It's called Jordan Maxwell Research Website. And this is all of my research, pictures and documents and articles and highly recommended materials, video lectures, audio lectures, um, strange symbols, emblems, just an enormous amount of strange stuff to research, where it came from, the books to get, the people to listen to, and the documents, where they're found and who and where to go. And so... You go on my jordanmaxwellshow.com and then go to, and it's right there in front of you, it'll pop right out in front of you and say, join the research society or join the research website. And then you will see all of my stuff. I have got tons of work still being put out there every day. My webman is only one man. He's doing the best he can, but putting stuff up every day. He doesn't get to it every day. He's got other things to do for my website. He doesn't have time. But it is really interesting that a lot of stuff that I have wanted to tell the world, he has made it possible for people to see it themselves, see the documents I'm talking about, learn and understand where the different religions have come from, and you will begin to open up your eyes to a world you've never known before. A world of theology and religion that's never been told to you before. You've never been told the things that you'll see on my website, on my research website. Things which you have never heard or never even thought of as to where they really came from. What's really going on in the world of religion, you have no idea, I will guarantee you, where these things and ideas and belief systems and symbols have come from, what they actually mean, and where they've actually come from, has zero, nothing to do with anything you think you understand. It's an incredible picture. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. And when we come back, I also want to discuss something that puzzles me all the time. I get these messages from people all the time telling me, Mel, you have made a pact with the devil. You discuss UFOs and extraterrestrials. These are fallen angels, demons, the devil. <laughs> I always want to understand what do they really mean by that? And hopefully you'll explain that to me when we come back. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with my special guest, Jordan Maxwell. After 10 years, a full decade, an hour two, I'll be able to dig deeper into the rabbit hole. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin. Litecoin, 
and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.